Well, good morning, everyone. My name is David Thies. I'm one of the elders here at All Souls, and I'll add my welcome to that of Elder Scott Morrison and Pastor Luke Hershey a few moments ago. As we're beginning the season of Advent, uh, as you can tell, I'm not Pastor Luke. Pastor Luke is not preaching today. Uh, and I have the privilege of bringing a message to you that is uh, one of our Advent messages. Over the next month, uh, Scott will be bringing the message next week. Dave Monreal will be doing it the week after that, and then Pastor Luke after that, in addition to our Christmas Eve service, which is on the 24th. We're going to use as our text today, as it is the beginning of Advent, you can see from the Advent wreath, we're calling it, it's the, the, the candles that are there. Uh, we'll be using one of the texts that uh, is, is well known uh, as an Old Testament announcement that Jesus was coming. So it's an appropriate way to begin the Advent season, which is a time of expectation and hope and excitement as we begin to celebrate. As I get to the text, though, let's pray just for a moment that we would be led by God in understanding this text and what it means for us. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we do come to you in hope and expectation. Uh, that feeling is present all the time, but especially at this time of the year, Father, as we celebrate your incarnation. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear in a heart that uh, would give us the awe that we should hold you in, that we should understand all that you have done, um, not for what we believe Christmas in its cultural sense is, but in the light of the truth that you as our God have come to our world to save us from our sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, here's the text. It's Malachi 3, verses 1 through 4. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord." Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Well, we have arrived at the time of year we call in the church Advent, a time of expectation and anticipation. It's looking forward to Christmas, our celebration of God's incarnation, his coming into the world as a baby in Bethlehem. Are you ready for Christmas? There are a lot of churches around the world today, I think, talking about the beginning of this season of Advent and how important it is to not miss the true meaning of Christmas. And I suppose that's what I would like to talk about as well. In our culture, especially, that's not so easy. The time period from, say, Thanksgiving to Christmas, or maybe I should say that these days Halloween to Christmas, has become so many things that have nothing to do with the Bible. And some of those things are not bad, per se. During this time, we often celebrate tradition and family, 
close friendships and the generosity of giving and the joy of small children playing with a, a, a new toy. But these good things add a busyness to our lives that can be downright destructive. And even more to the point, many in our world can't enjoy these things. Each of us, after all, is one failed relationship, one illness, one loss of a loved one, or one financial setback away from a profound sadness, depression, or fear that makes the magic of the world's celebration of Christmas pretty hollow and fake. So, are you ready for Christmas? Now, don't get me wrong. I want the tradition and the lights and the candles, the parties with friends, the family togetherness. I'm really looking forward to our church party this coming Wednesday night, for example, even though I know it takes a great deal of effort to have such an event. Thank you, Jody, and everybody else that will be helping with the party this week. But if I'm honest, I have to acknowledge that these things are not grounded in my relationship with God as they should be. No, there's a great deal of humanity in the way that I look at the Christmas season. Again, if I'm honest, I have to admit that my humanity very often and quickly reflects my displeasure if things aren't quite the way I like them to be. Jody, my wife, for example, if pushed, will share some of her experiences with me setting up Christmas trees. It's got to be just right. And if it's not, I'm upset and maybe not in the challenge of proper Christmas tree location and setup, but with many of my problems, me being upset means that I'm upset with God. If things aren't going particularly well, it's God who is to blame, says my culture, and says me, if I'm not careful, especially during this busy time of the year. But ours is a loving God not fickle or arbitrarily changing from time to time. And if one year I'm up and another year I'm down as I celebrate Christmas, that's about me, not about God. The good news, of course, is that while I may fool myself about all of this, God is never fooled, and he really does give us something to celebrate at this time of the year. But to celebrate, we need to come to an understanding of what's really going on. So let's dig in. The prophet Malachi was dealing with just the sort of dilemma that I'm describing in my own life. Malachi is a transitional figure in our Bible. He's placed last in the order of the prophets. Uh, and in, from that position, he looks back over the past, but also announces what is to come in the future. He's probably the last of the prophets to write in our Old Testament, although there's some question about this. He was sent by God sometime after the return of the Jews to Israel under Zerubbabel, probably around 430 B.C., so you can see how many years elapsed from what we read in our scripture until the advent of the Christmas season when Jesus came into the world. Now, Malachi's message to the Jews was not unique. All of the prophets announced that humankind had fallen away from God. Repentance and a return to God's way were necessary. Malachi, very specifically, however, points to what God would do to solve the problem, announcing the coming of Christ, 
preceded by a messenger sent by God to prepare the way. Malachi also cautions that the people had better understand that God's coming would be to do something very foreign to what the people were expecting or even demanding. God would be coming into the world to expose the sin of the very people who were doing most of the complaining, the people who were blaming God for their problems. God would come to expose sin, yes, but he would also come to save the people from the consequences of that sin. And that's where we find our Advent message for today as we try to understand what's really going on. Let's look at an outline for the text. You'll see it on the back of your bulletin. Divided up into two sections, we look at these very few verses in Malachi. First, in verse 1, where we see God's coming is desired, and that's describing the way the people felt. And as we'll see in a moment, that desire of the people was not quite appropriate. The second part of the text will be verses 2 through 4, where we see God's coming is promised, and that is what comes from God. And that is what we celebrate during this time. So let's start with the first part. God's coming is desired. Take a look at your Bibles if they're not open. Beginning of Malachi chapter 3. I'm also going to look back briefly over 1 and 2 with just a few references. The people apparently wanted God to come. At least that's what the text says. Verse 1 tells of the coming messenger who would prepare for God's coming. But skip over that just for a second and look at the way Malachi describes his audience. At first blush, it looks like these folks are excited. They're like us. It's the beginning of the Christmas season, 400 years in advance, of course. And they seem to be looking forward to the coming of the Lord. The second part of verse 1 says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight... Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, a closer look at these folks who are receiving this message, however, shows that God, through the voice of Malachi, is criticizing the hearts of his people because they only want God to come to them on their terms. The last two verses of the previous chapter lay it out. Bryce read them for us when he gave us our scripture a few moments ago. Look at chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Malachi says to the people, So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Well, the people push back. But you say, Malachi reports, How have we wearied him? God answers back through Malachi by saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, by asking, where is the God of justice? The people here were complaining that it was the other evil people who were getting ahead in the world. And they were crying out for God's justice to make things right. But they failed to understand that if justice was what they wanted, it wouldn't be directed at the people who were their enemies. These folks who were the audience were just as vulnerable to God's judgment as the evildoers who they thought were getting ahead in the world. It was to that complaining group of people, God's people, God's own people, that God then promises that he will come, all right, but it's not on the terms that they wanted. 
God will come according to his divine will to accomplish his great plan. And the people had to understand this before they could totally appreciate the enormity of what God was going to do. Now we'll talk about God's terms for coming into the world in a moment, but let's continue for a second to look at the people who were the audience. These were the people who, according to the scriptures, were seeking God in whom they would delight. This was not the first time in Malachi's book that he had called these people out, exposing their hypocrisy and their failure to acknowledge their own inability to measure up to God's standards while always being willing to judge others according to their own self-righteous views of morality. These stiff-necked people were regularly challenging the fairness of God in the way he was dealing with them. Fairness, of course, in the way that they defined it. The first chapter of Malachi's second verse, Malachi reports that God said, I have loved you, but you say, speaking to the people, how have you loved us? Verse 6 of the first chapter, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, speaking to the priests, how have we despised your name? God answers them. Verse 7, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? God pleads with them to come back to him. Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, Malachi tells us, how shall we return? And verse 8, same chapter, continues the bellyaching. Will man rob God, says Malachi? Yes, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? This is sort of, you know, what have you done for me lately? And I can't believe that you're accusing me of doing anything wrong that the people were engaging in. And in each each instance of pushback by the people, Malachi goes on to explain how God has, in fact, always followed through on his promises, contrary to the misperceptions of the audience. James Boyce describes Malachi's address to these supposedly God-fearing people like this. Perhaps more than any other Old Testament book, Malachi describes that modern attitude of mind that considers man superior to God and that has the audacity to attempt to bring God down to earth and measure him by the yardstick of human morality. Well, I think that Malachi is speaking to our generation as well. How arrogant I can be in proclaiming to be a follower of Christ when I live as if God's judgment is certainly directed at others, but not me. Or almost worse, when I live as if I am not saved, knowing that Christ has gone to the cross for me. When I do that, I water down what Jesus has done on the cross. I'm refusing to humbly acknowledge my need and then live in the truth that Jesus' sacrifice satisfied all that God was asking of me. This is experiencing life on my terms and not God's. We know God is there, but if life's circumstances are not to our liking, we think it's God's fault, not ours. 
As we enter the Advent season, we should remember what we are celebrating. We should not desire God only in the way we would like him to be. We need to appreciate our personal involvement in the dilemma of sin in the world. And that brings us to the second part of the text. We've seen the people, quote unquote, desiring God, and then God saying, be careful what you pray for, because you might get it. Now we move on to what God promises to do to deal with this dilemma. God's going to address now the plea of the people for justice in the world, telling them that he indeed will soon be coming. In verse 1, I'll read it again, of chapter 3, we see, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, there's some question uh, in the, t- in the uh, commentaries about the identity of the messenger who would prepare the way before God and also then the messenger of the covenant. But considering the way Jesus literally refers to this scripture in the New Testament, most agree that we're talking here about John the Baptist and Jesus who is God himself. John would go before King Jesus preparing the way to be followed by Jesus after his incarnation. What would he do when he arrived? Well, the people wanted justice, but not for themselves, for other people. And contrary to their own feelings of self-worth, though, the next few words of the text make it clear that this audience of God's people were in as much peril as any of the evil people they were hoping God would judge. Look at verses 2 through 4. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. In other words, the offering up to that point had not been pleasing. So we see no one can endure the day of his coming. No one will be able to stand when God appears. This might have been a disappointment for the people of Malachi's day, and it might be a disappointment for you and for me. But here's where the story gets wonderful. For this is not a prediction of judgment. This is a prediction of redemption and restoration. Yes, God is like a a refiner's fire, but like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, God was coming to purify the sons of Levi and to refine them. He would restore his people so that their offerings would be righteous, pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and in former years. The people, you see, wanted God to come on their terms to make life fair, to judge the evil people of the world, and to restore the physical life circumstances they felt they deserved. But God would not do that, at least not in the way they wanted. God would come but it would be to deal with the problem of sin, a problem common to every member of the human race, a problem common to you and to me. God would do that according to his own terms, by humbling himself to become a child, a child who would grow to a man and who would endure 
the agony of the cross because as king, he came to serve and not to be served. And it is in humble recognition of our need that we should approach this season where we celebrate what God has done. How do we do that? Well, first, a suggestion. Wake up. As Paul told the Romans in the passage that Bryce read, besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. God came to save you, and he came to save me. He didn't come to help me win the earthly battles that so bog me down, although he sometimes will do that. And well, if, it's that, kind of, if that kind of victory is consistent with his will for my life, What I know he came to do, though, was to win an eternal battle that I have with sin. And knowing that he has won that battle, I can also know today that I will spend eternity with him, and so can you. I will not see physical death, and so I am empowered, empowered to live a life to which I've been called by God, empowered to trust God and the promises that he has made. So during this season of expectation and hope, do you say to God, like the folks that Malachi was writing to, but in 21st century language, where is the joy? Well, Luke wrote, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. There's your joy. Does life feel chaotic? So much to get done. Are you in distress as you look around the world and see so much violence and dysfunction, even this week as we've experienced all around the world these kinds of problems? Does the dysfunction in your own life and family cause you to wonder, where is the peace Luke tells us again, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. That's real peace, the multitude was proclaiming. Are you worried that the institutions of this world are failing us? Isaiah wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Is life hard? Aging, illness, death, loneliness, all of these things are present in each one of our lives to one degree or another, and if you haven't felt them, you will. Jesus in Matthew's gospel said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And finally, do you ever feel abandoned 
that none of the people or the things you've taken for granted are permanent. Jesus said in the text that Pastor Luke read to us last week, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then these words, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now for some, the relationship that's being described there may take hold during this season of Advent. For others here, the relationship may exist, but it will deepen during this season of Advent. For all of us, the expectation and hope of the Advent season is made more precious as we realize that we do not celebrate God on our own terms, only to be disappointed when he does not participate in the craziness of the world's idea of the Christmas season. Come to these next few works weeks on God's terms in humility, understanding that the God of this world came into it to purify and to refine, to make us acceptable and to empower us to show his love to this dying world. Now the title of this talk is Preparing the Way. Malachi spoke of John the Baptist and then Jesus coming into the world. John went ahead of and announced the work that would be done by Jesus. Well, the work that Jesus did reflects a different way that was being prepared, a way into your heart and mine. The beginning of that way is found in a manger in Bethlehem. Let's go there and marvel at what God has done. Let's pray. Dear God, give us an understanding that is within our capability of understanding of the magnitude of what you have done for us. Take us from the simplicity of that major and that baby to appreciate that your purposes are your own and thanks to you, we can be with you eternally because of the work that you have done. Calm our spirits, focus our attention, and let us celebrate this season of the church in a way that is pleasing to you that brings glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.